You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. You can find the show anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, like Spotify, Himalaya, Google Podcasts, whatever you like. Or if you're a commuter, maybe you don't want to be looking at your phone, you can always ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings. And today we have some music to face. We got to look deep into into the 16-6 Bears loss in Soldier Field, and I, I kind of want to just set out to find out, like, okay, what happened, right? Because I usually there's not one easy, clean answer, right? It's not like one player or one specific matchup leads to offensive ineptitude like what we saw. It's going to be a variety of things, and there are a lot of things that we have to talk about. Uh, a lot of this will be supplemented by... Uh, film that was posted on Twitter by me and elsewhere and other breakdowns and stuff. So I'm going to link a lot of that in the show notes when I cite it. Uh, so, you know, be aware of that. If you are a commuter, I'll try my best to, to explain so that you can also follow along without having to like stop and, and go look it up later. But if you can, I do recommend following along with all of that stuff. So where I want to start is I think the logical place to start right now is the run game. There's a whole bunch of stuff that happened in the past, especially down the stretch that's frustrating and needs to be addressed. But I think we should start with the run game, which really failed the Vikings. You know, we talked a lot over the last three weeks leading up to, you know, this game, the first part of the season when the Vikings were like dusting people on the ground. You know, it was kind of obvious that, all right, eventually they're going to load the box and stop this, and then what happens? And I think we kind of found out a pretty bleak answer to that when they load the block, when, you know, when they load the box, what happens? Even Adam Thielen, after the game, was asked, like, hey, you know, like, what happened? And they were like, yeah, we knew that they weren't going to let us run. They, we knew that they were going to, you know, win the numbers game, basically, and I'll explain what that means later. But, you know, we knew that they were going to make, to commit to it, I think is the, the wording that, that Thielen used. And that we were going to have to, you know, step up in the pass game, and that didn't happen, and he was really frustrated about that. So what does it mean to, like, commit to it? You know, how did the Bears stop what essentially, not even the Packers, who actually had a reasonable day against Cook, but they still let up that big 75-yarder? The the Bears really just flattened the run game, and part of it was game situation, you know, down the stretch it was hard. Most of the Vikings' plays came in a game scenario where running the ball didn't really seem feasible, but there were a lot of runs earlier in the game that just failed. And honestly, after like going and watching all of them, I didn't really come away with the impression that a lot of offensive linemen were like bad. Like, yeah, Bradbury lost a couple, Dozier lost a couple, Reef lost to Khalil. I mean, Khalil Mack was disruptive. And like, there were moments here and there where you're like, oh yeah, that one guy messed up. But it didn't seem like, uh, you know, previous years, it didn't seem like the 2016 run game, for example, that I believe was dead last in the league or the 2018 run game that couldn't pick up a third and one. It, It seemed like they were executing reasonably, but the plays still weren't working. And so what I did was I actually just made a point to kind of look for any plays where the Vikings ran into a minus box. And for me, the box is basically just counting people that kind of show up near the line of scrimmage or or inside the tackle box. I kind of expand it beyond the definition that most people do just because I think like in spirit, if someone's lined up at like a wide five technique, sometimes they may not count as in the box. I think that's kind of silly. 
but essentially I'm counting the matchup, right? You know, if you have eight blockers and they have eight defenders, that's eight on eight. That's called, that's a neutral box. If you have seven blockers and they have eight defenders, that is a minus box. You probably shouldn't run into that. And a plus box is the other way around. If you have eight blockers, they have seven defenders or six on five or whatever. So it was really, really tough. So the Vikings allowed a lot of really tight, cramped boxes. There were a lot of neutral boxes, right? But they weren't six on six. They were eight on eight. And the issue with that is that the more blocking matchups you add, the more opportunities for one of those blockers to screw up, lose their block, and it only really takes one to ruin the play. I, there were a bunch of plays where the Vikings won seven of their eight matchups, and seven of the eight people did the, their jobs correctly and moved the guy where they were supposed to or got to their spot. One person doesn't, and it ruins the play. The Vikings in the last few games have been really, really good, even in like eight-on-eight eight boxes, at like manipulating which side you know everybody's on so that you can get some sort of, of numbers advantage. For example, say you have you know your eight blockers, but they're set up five on one side and three on another. Say you, maybe you have two tight ends on one side of the formation or a tight end and a fullback or something. And the, the Vikings have been really good at setting that up so that they have a numbers advantage at least on one half of the field, and then you run at that half. There didn't really seem to be any of that. They tried their same jet motion tricks and things that usually would at least entice somebody to go outside the box, but the Bears didn't really play along. And I, I mean, we all knew that that's what you do, right? Like, it was, it's an easy thing to do. So, oh, guys are falling for this. Eventually, they'll watch that people are falling for this and stop falling for it. But it seemed like the Vikings kind of ran out of tricks, I guess. And then they just were running into eight on eight boxes. And it's a really difficult thing to do because you got to go eight no every play. And if you don't, then it's second and nine. It's a really, really difficult thing to pull off consistently. And obviously they couldn't. And of course, credit to the Bears. This is probably the hardest team ever to do that against. So you're already in a tough situation just by like the numbers count. And then add in that it's against Chicago specifically. It's just it's not going to work out. I also noticed that Dalvin, I mean, Dalvin Cook had a pretty bad game, uh, not only on the ground. I thought he actually made a couple of vision mistakes. I, I thought that he was a little bit too willing to go with the read. Like, I didn't think that he was reading very actively. He seemed kind of passive about it. Uh, part of that is just because of the extra men in the box. The read is different, and sometimes it's a, it's a little bit more difficult to bounce that outside when everybody is already kind of, like, in position to stop that. When you have enough people in the box, like, it's harder to just bounce a, a run outside. But there were times that I thought he should have bounced it or, or read something differently. Obviously, easy for me to say in hindsight, looking at the the all 22 tape on my iPad, but it is a, a criticism. And he also kind of got blown up a couple times in pass protection, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Overall, I thought uh, Brian O'Neill had like a solid game, certainly not his best, but he was absolutely not the problem. Uh, of course, Dakota Dozier had a bunch of struggles. Garrett Bradbury had a bunch of struggles. Pat Elfline had fewer struggles than he usually has. I thought it was a good game for, by by his standards. Uh, and I thought Riley Reef did, I don't know, as well as you could expect somebody to do, to do against mostly Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack whooped him a whole bunch, but I don't think, like, if you imagine a good offensive lineman, okay, how does, how does a good offensive lineman do against Khalil Mack? It's probably somewhere in the range of Riley Reef. I think you said if you had an average offensive lineman, which is what I think Riley Reef is, and put him against Khalil Mack, I think it probably looks like about what we saw. Khalil Mack is just Khalil Mack, man. Sometimes he's, you, there's going to be players that, that just do that to you, and, and you have to figure out how to stop them. I mean, do things like the pin-pull tricks that the Vikings did against Atlanta to neutralize Grady Jarrett, and I, I didn't see nearly as much of that stuff. But again, it's harder to pull that stuff off when it's eight on eight. You just don't have a lot of margin for error. 
and I think that's a theme that's going to kind of like resonate throughout this episode is there is not a lot of margin for error in a game like this. Part of it is because the, the number of possessions was strongly shortened. And when you're the worst team in the game, which I mean, the Vikings pretty obviously were, fewer possession actually works to your advantage because it, it raises variance, right? One weird thing can happen and it can have a whole bunch of impact. Like imagine if there was a, a fumble ruski for a touchdown because of a botch snap with a backup, right? Weird stuff like that could have completely changed the tenor of the game and that probably advantages the Vikings more often than it advantages the Bears. Or if it advantages the Vikings, it like carries more weight just because of the kind of low possession nature of the game and the low scoring nature of the game. Everything has a little bit more gravity, but it also affects our perceptions, right? The There are players, like especially on defense, right? Players on defense made a few mistakes, not an abnormal amount, probably even a better amount than most defensive players would in most games, even against, you know, once you adjust for, oh, they were against a backup quarterback and all that. The, the, the players played more consistently than I think, you know, average players would or even good players would. Like they showed the way that you should show if you expect to be taken seriously as like an elite or good defense. But because of the nature of the game, those mistakes, which we usually would be totally fine with, were like way exacerbated. And and they were just like, they stick out in our minds because they were the only determining factor. The touchdown to Tariq Cohen looks super, super bad. All it was was a running back option route, and he got singled up with a linebacker touchdown. That happens in, like, every game. It's a pretty common way for offenses to score touchdowns, and the coverage just happened to work out that way. Good job, Matt Nagy. You know, point to you. But it feels so much worse. There's so much more gravity to it because that was the only touchdown that was scored in a relevant time of the game. So small sample sizes and the, just the nature of the game kind of, like, blows all these other... Pro it adds, like, weight to all these other problems where, you know, ah, yeah, they ran into a bunch of loaded boxes. That kind of stinks. Feels like this this super, like, weighty, weighty mistake. Now, before we move on to some of the passing offense stuff and the pressure and the sacks and all that stuff and kind of what happened there, I want to talk to you real quick about gambling. As I record this, there is an absolutely god-awful Monday Night Football game going, and I really wish I didn't end up uh, making a bet. I didn't feel good about any of any of the lines, uh, but I, I really wish I had made a bet just for fun, just so I had a reason to care about, like, Bengals-Steelers on Monday night and the horrendous things that the Bengals accomplished in that game. And I really want to recommend to you MyBookie. MyBookie is the, the, the sports book website that I use. It's the best online sports book out there, in my opinion. I, I really love their website. I love how it's all set up. I, I love how easy it is to navigate, find your bet, go make the bet. It's just a couple of clicks. It, there's no extra frills or dumb stuff. And all you got to do is be right and they will pay you money. Makes sense, right? You guys out there are smart. You know how football's going to go. And if you're right in your predictions, why not lay down a buck? And who you bet with is just as important as who you bet on. My bookie dot ag and you can enter promo code locked on and they will double your first deposit it's free gambling money that's mybookie.ag. Go check it out today. So the next thing I want to talk about is like the passing offense just kind of in general because there were a bunch of problems but I, I want to address first uh, pressure because that's kind of the thing that's always pointed to right oh the offensive line is so bad woe is us we can never win a game with this horrible 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 offensive line I kind of don't think they were awful in this game Considering the strength of competition, right, Khalil Mack got his, right? Khalil Mack got a strip sack. That's 
kind of kind of be what he does. I already kind of explained that. But the pressure rate that they were actually under wasn't that bad in this game. It was like 35% or something. That's like relatively average. And considering the strength of the competition, I think that that's an accomplishment. It's probably better than we would have expected from this particular offensive line. Not saying that like Elfline's good now or anything, but he had a better game than I expected and he deserves credit for it. He did give up a pretty bad sack, so he deserves criticism for that, but we can do both things, right? We don't have to lump it all into one thing. And I thought he did all right, like in the big picture. But I was really curious, and I, and I was wondering, like, okay, so pressure's been an issue all season, right? Even if I'm going to kind of stick up for how they did in the Bears game, I think they did well considering the circumstances. But I was kind of like, okay, so how how is pressure affecting the game right now? Is it, you know, causing Kirk Cousins to have to check down more often? Is, is that why, you know, there are deep receivers open all the time? We'll talk about that in a sec, but there are deep rece receivers open all the time. So there are two things that I did. For one, I, I went to Pro Football Focus, and they actually log time between snap and a whole bunch of different things, like the time between your snap and all your sacks, and the time between the snap and all your throws and all your scrambles, and how much time you spend in the pocket in general. So they actually can chart like how long you have in the pocket before throwing or running away or whatever. And Kirk Cousins is third in the league in spending the most time in the pocket per play. That surprised me. That actually kind of blew the doors off of me because I, that's like the opposite of what you would expect, right? You would expect, well, if the offensive line is crap, you would expect that he has to either check it down or run away or get sacked all the time, like, you know, within a second and a half. And, and people are, are talking about it like, well, he only has, you know, half a second to do anything. So of course he's not doing well. And I was like, I mean, that's like valid and it doesn't absolve him of everything, but it's a valid, you know, contingency. But then looking it up, it's like he has a bunch of time. And so that made me really, really curious. And I, I saw a couple of other clips that were circulating around of him like having time and then just like, you know, missing a read or not quite doing the right thing or making a decision. You wish he made a different decision. And, and it's kind of getting me to realize that maybe the pressure isn't as big of a problem as we think, but it's not that they're not playing poorly because I think on the whole, they are playing poorly. Like even though this particular game I'm sticking up for, that doesn't, it, it does it not good enough for me to like say that they're good now or anything like that. I think they just like, I don't know, did better than I thought they would, but that's a low bar. So like they, they are playing poorly. But I think that the way the offense is being run right now, and a lot of this is on Kirk Cousins, I think some of it is on Stefanski, although I think Stefanski's play calls were largely sensical in this one. I mean, he called plays that were, you know, I, I think logical and, and generally, like, acceptable play calls for their situations. But the problems on the offensive line are being exacerbated a lot. And that's the word I want to use is they're being, you know, they're being exaggerated by... Kirk Cousins holding on to the football, and I do think that that is kind of an issue for him this year, is that he's holding on to the football, and I think he's reading the field slowly, or he's just paranoid to make decisions, and he's hesitating, and there is, you know, you can kind of see a little bit of hesitation, you know, like a little, like, double clutch before he goes sometimes, and maybe he's just in his own head, maybe the pressure has made him skittish, there's a whole bunch of explanations, I don't know, maybe he needs to just go see his neurologist again. <laughs> But that hesitation elongates plays and a general lack of ability to just like maneuver the pocket spatially. I, I see very few instances of him like deftly changing the blocking angles in favor of the offensive line. If anything, I see it more often the opposite, where he moves in a way that makes the offensive line's angle worse, and then suddenly it looks like they gave up a pressure. But, yeah, I mean, good quarterbacks, like the, the Breezes and the Russell Wilson's the god of this, Aaron Rodgers is incredible at this, they will move in the pocket. I mean, say somebody 
gives up a little bit of space to their left, they'll move to the right so that that guy's at the right angle now and make their loss into a win. You can do that with just a couple of easy steps if you kind of have that instinct. Kirk's never had that instinct, and it's something that exacerbates difficult offensive lines. So you're basically requiring an offensive line that's been a problem forever to be perfect, and they're far from it, and so it looks really bad. And it isn't good, but I think it looks worse than it... Like, it is bad, but it looks even worse. But let's really quick talk about the issues uh, of, of seeing things downfield. There were a ton of examples. I'll link a few in the show notes. But there were times when you could see, I, I think the very first play, Kyle Rudolph broke open down the field and Kirk Cousins didn't see it. Uh, he had to scramble and the pressure does have a lot to do with this. You know, he had to break the pocket and scramble and then he couldn't see it and then it was too late. Um, I think he could have thrown it if he were reading the whole field, but he was on a half field read. That's really frustrating. I, I don't really know whose fault it is that he was on a half field read. Maybe that was what he was coached to do, but like it's frustrating. There is a fairly uh, notorious play that Courtney Cronin posted the next-gen stats uh, little chart of, and I think that it's actually a really interesting uh, way to look at the play, better than the Soldier Field All-22, which is horrible, uh, of it was a, I I think, like a dagger concept or something similar, maybe Ohio, um, that featured uh, uh, digs on a deep out that was wide open. It put the safety in conflict. The safety chose the running back, but Kirk Cousins kind of because of pressure, but not really because of pressure. And if he had manipulated the pocket better, he could have alleviated that pressure. Didn't see, um, didn't read what the safety was doing and instead checked it down to where the safety, he like made it easier for the defender. Uh, He checked it down to where the safety was going and Diggs was left wide open. There was a a couple other times where Diggs was left wide open and not thrown to. There was a time when Irv Smith was open, a few times when Irv Smith was open, a bunch of times when BC Johnson was open. BC had a low-key awesome game uh, on tape. He really showed out in a way that did not show up on the box score, so I don't know, that's something to watch. But this vision issue has been a thing now all year. And honestly, it was kind of a thing last year, but it's way worse this year. So I, I don't know if it's the coaching. I don't know if he's in his own head because of the pressure. I, I don't know if, you know, the things are souring in the locker room or whatever and he can't handle Something is broken, though, and it needs to get fixed. So I want to wrap up this podcast with some forward-thinking stuff, because after this, we have a Crossover Wednesday tomorrow with uh, Patricia Tenya. She does Locked on Giants, so really excited for that. I actually went on her show in the off-season, uh, talked about Mike Remmers and stuff, So, and we actually had a, a bit of a fun time with, like, which quarterback are the Vikings going to face? Well, we know now. So I want to leave this not with a, a sour note like I did yesterday, uh, something a, a little bit ragey, but today I want to leave it with something a little bit more forward thinking, something a little bit more positive, not necessarily like optimistic, because I don't think that that's appropriate after a loss like this, but something maybe a bit more productive. I want to propose some solutions instead of just bringing up problems. So the run the game thing that I brought up earlier, the, the thing where they basically couldn't manipulate the box count the way that they thought. For that, I really wish that there were more pre-snap kills that were worked in. What a kill is, you'll hear a quarterback say like, kill, kill, kill all the time. Uh, that's essentially, hey, the pre-snap read doesn't favor this play. So you've got a play call that loses to cover three. Every play call loses to some coverage. Say the play call you have loses to cover three, and if you read that they're in cover three, you go kill, 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 and everybody knows that there's a kind of a backup play call that then they can go execute that instead. I uh, didn't see a lot of that. I, I didn't see a lot of Kirk Cousins like working things at the line of scrimmage. And I feel like not having that against a Bears defense like this is a huge mistake. So to work more kills in, especially when, okay, we have a run play called, they have loaded the box, I can't flip the play around, I can't do, you know, maybe it's, it's it, the kill is as simple as the same play but flipped. Or, uh, you know, they've loaded the box, let's flip the ball out, you know, do a toss play instead. 
and and try something like that. Or maybe it's a quick slant or a quick out because you know you have one-on-one on the outside because they've loaded the box. I, I want a, you know, this play should be married to a kill for if they come out in an alignment that obviously beats this play. Like, there were a lot of plays that were dead to rights pre-snap because of the way that the the coverage was. The Bears didn't do a lot to disguise their coverages. I mean, they really just played straight up and won. And when they're not doing that, you should take advantage and say, okay, if you're going to telegraph your coverage, I'm going to have a backup call for every play. And some coaches do that, and I, I don't think the Vikings have it right now, or Kirk Cousins just isn't reading it like that, which would be insane. He's he's takes a lot of pride in his pre-snap reads and his preparation and stuff. But just think, for every play that you're going to put into the game, what is the coverage that beats this? What's the alignment that beats this? And I'm going to work in a kill for whatever counters that coverage or alignment. I think that that's a solution that just, or, you know, working it in more, use it more. I think that's a solution that could be really productive. There was a, a discussion about one of these plays between, uh, Brett Coleman, who does awesome YouTube videos, and Reef Hassan for The Athletic, they went back and forth on one of the plays, whether or not it was Kirk Cousins' fault or whether or not it was understandable. And one of the things that, uh, that was pointed out in that particular discussion is that the read was short to long. Essentially, the, the read that Kirk Cousins has is throw it, see if the short guy is there, and then if he's not there, then see if the long guy is there. And I think you should reverse that, and you should do more of the North Turner thing. North Turner was always long to short. Go see if the deep shot's there, and then ch- take the check down. Or, you know, it was throw the touchdown or throw the check down is kind of the cliche of it. But I, I think that moving deeper reads earlier into the progression could be really productive. Because I do think that Kirk Cousins is smart enough to make these reads, but the longest read is always second or third. And with the pressure and and with just general like kind of mental fortitude issues, it's not something that he's able to get to before he decides to check down. This doesn't apply to every play. Sometimes the, the first read is the deep play. It's a shot play or something. But I think that that moving more aggressive reads earlier in the proje- projection or in the the progression can be a really helpful way to kind of force Kirk Cousins to move the ball. I think right now Kirk Cousins and he always has had an issue with accepting too contested of balls. He'll throw balls that are contested. He'll, he'll throw, you know, checkdowns that are more covered than he thinks. So if he's going to do that and throw up contested balls, I'm actually kind of fine with that if it's, you know, deep corners to Adam Thielen, who's amazing at contested catches, and Diggs is as well. Rudolph's no slouch either. So, like, yeah, throw deep contested catches, but don't throw contested catches, th- you know, for four yards. I, I think that just making that progression switch could actually be a really productive change that helps the Vikings offense move a little bit more. And with the pressure issue, right now the Vikings kind of idea of of for dealing with the pressure issue. I mean, they're not just like one-on-oneing everybody and keeping only five in on every play. There's a bunch of different ways that you can try to mitigate pressure. And this is why, you know, all the analytics people say, eh, drafting offensive line in the first round is blah, blah, blah. That That's kind of their argument against it is that there's a whole bunch of schematic things you can do. What the Vikings are doing right now is they're using max protect. So they're bringing in tight ends to help block. They're bringing in, you know, CJ Ham to help block and running backs to help block. Kind of backfired on him in this game because Dalvin Cook was pretty bad in pass protection, but that's the, the plan that they've used. And it's a legit strategy. But I still want to see more hot reads. There actually was one on the strip sack that Khalil Mack got, the really bad one that, like, was the first play on a drive. Um, there actually was a leaking running back exactly where I wanted him to be, 
but the play just went too fast. Riley Reef just got beat immediately, and that's what Khalil Mack does, and he got the strip sack, and it's like there's kind of not a lot you can do about it, which is just so frustrating because he was right there, and he wasn't even, there wasn't even a flat defender. Like, the, they had carried the flat defender downfield, so he had, like, 30 yards of space in front. It just stinks. It's so frustrating. But, like, I like the design of that when you're going up against a Khalil Mack. In two weeks, Fletcher Cox is coming into U.S. Bank Stadium. I say have a hot read for him, right? If Fletcher Cox beats, beats his man, you know, have uh, the running back run an angle route or a short curl or something right in, in that space. And I bet you can get the produ- some production in the face of that pressure. And also it just generally makes the offensive line look a little bit better, masks some of those issues. And right now the, the issues of, you know, Garrett Bradbury are going to take way longer than week to week to fix that. That's something you got to either fix in an offseason or fix by giving up on your first round pick, which is probably not the answer. Same thing with Elfline. Same thing with Kirk Cousins. You can't get rid of him. You can't really, but there's nobody to bench him for. Maybe you can draft somebody in 2020, but there's 12 games between then and now. Nobody's going to let you trade for their Gardner, Gardner Minshew or whatever. So you're stuck with this guy. And he's not good. Like the issues with him aren't going to get fixed. He's 30s in his eighth year. So you have to mask them. And I think that those suggestions are good suggestions to help mask those issues or take advantage of them in, in, you know, like the way that he reads routes and the way that he reads leverage, take advantage of his, uh, you know, ability to, or, or his confidence at least in, in firing those balls into tighter windows, take advantage of it. So uh, the last thing I'm going to talk about is the defense. I haven't really talked about them at all, save a couple of uh, mentions here or there. I just kind of want to go over a couple of stats that uh, Arif Hassan pointed out that i am kind of been parroting uh, that are just about, like, how well the defense played. And I, I just... The, these are all really good and what you would expect an elite defense to do against a backup quarterback in an offense that isn't really good to begin with anyways. And I, I want to kind of just like pound that home because I, I don't want to see people blaming a defense that gave up 13 points on drives that started outside a scoring range. Like, they really only are responsible for giving up 13 points. And when your defense only gives up 13 points and you lose the game, it's really hard to blame the defense. And points aren't the end-all be-all of that, right? Like, there could be kind of other circumstances and contexts that make that 13 points. Maybe it's a worse 13 points than other 13 points. Maybe that's true. But there are other numbers that you can look at that kind of answer those questions. So let's go over a couple of them right now. The Vikings have historic have had a historic run of third down defense since 2017. It's been like actually incredible. And in this game, the Bears converted 31% of their third downs. That's an unbelievable rate and should not be sustainable, but somehow is. It's actually an incredible thing that they're accomplishing. And even though it's not leading to enough wins right now, and they're still kind of 500, that's because of other issues. This is actually insane and keeping them in a lot of games they would kind of otherwise have no business being in. I also saw people accusing Mike Zimmer of like playing passively and, and not blitzing. That's not really what the game plan was. For one, they allowed a lot of completions, but I think the Bears only got like 4.5 yards per play. That's an abysmal rate. If you are the offense and you only get 4.5 yards per play, that, that does not move the ball. That leads to quite a few punts. And they blitzed more often. They blitzed like 27% of the time. I believe Mike Zimmer's average is like 20 uh, so Mike Zimmer actually blitzes less than league average, which is something that I learned today, and that's very interesting because he's known for exotic blitzes, but I guess not using them as often. He picks his spots. But they blitzed 27%, so they upped the blitzing because a backup quarterback was in. That seems reasonable to me. And they played very soft coverage, and people were complaining about that, but essentially the plan is this. Blitz to force a quick throw, 
and then let that throw be caught in front of you and tackle him, and it's a gain of three. And that is essentially the, the plan that the Vikings use all the time against a lot of quarterbacks, and it makes it really difficult for them to, to move the ball. There's not that many chances at, like, a deep completion. There were a couple of deep completions. One, you know, uh, Javon Wims got the better of Trey Waynes once. I think there might have been another one. I can't remember. But ultimately, they had four scoring drives, one of which was negative four yards. It came after a, a strip sack that gave them the ball on, like, the Minnesota 20. And they scored 1.6 points per drive. I believe two is average. So that's like well below average. Or it might be even like 2.5. It was a below average, like strongly below average with a lot of room to spare performance for the Chicago offense. So the defense is still who you think they are, who you always thought they are. If you are one of those people, and I see this a lot, that are like, oh my goodness, Mike Zimmer's been figured out. His defense is washed. Everything is broken. I would tell you that you should rethink that because the defense is still very good. They're going up against a rookie quarterback, and then they're going up against an Eagles team that seems like maybe they figured their stuff out against the Packers, but that's a home game. and They are going up against pass rushes that are nowhere near what they just faced against Chicago, so maybe the offensive line has a little bit of time to figure out its strategy. I made kind of a joke post today about this, but there's two ways you can look at the current situation. You could look at them as last place in the NFC North, or you can look at them as a game out of first place in the NFC North. I don't really think either is productive because it's week uh, five, but I I guess that it's a good metaphor for, I mean, there's a long way to go. And the next four games are the Giants, the Eagles, Detroit, and then I believe a short week against a broken Washington team. I don't know, man. I think you could be coming out of the month of October with a lot more optimism than you're coming out of the month of September. But all that needs to be discussed on the weeks of those games. For now, I'm going to sign off. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Locked on Vikings. You can always find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. Show's on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. You can find this show anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, or you can just ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. Crossover Wednesdays tomorrow. Don't miss it for the world. I will see you all then. And as always, skull.